Well, good morning. Amy, thank you for your message and song about the reminder that we are clean by the blood of Jesus. Amen? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins, and we are so thankful for that. And so, Amy, thank you for that. Thank you for the worship this morning. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, amen, would you take them out and go to Acts chapter 4, please? Acts chapter 4. We are going to look at verses 23 through 31 this morning, and the topic is going to be prayer, uh, specifically a persecution that prompts prayer. Uh, when we look at our text in verse 23 through 31 this morning, uh, I believe that our text is one of the greatest recorded uh, prayers in all of Scripture. Now, if you were to go and look through scriptures, there's scripture, there's, there are several prayers that have been recorded, and, and some that I, I think they're just top-notch. We have the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, and we understand why that's a, a, a famous uh, prayer or one of the greatest recorded prayers. That's when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Uh, you look in John chapter 17, you have what's called the high priestly prayer, is when Jesus, as he's about to go through um, his week of, of uh, integrity, or he's being inter interrogated, excuse me, he's arrested, he's going to be beaten, but before that he spends time in prayer, and he prays to the Father, and he says, just as you have sent me, I have sent them. Um, in the Old Testament, we have uh, David's prayer of repentance in Psalm chapter 51, uh, where we hear David say these words, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit within me, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Psalm 51, the, song, uh, the psalm of repentance. Then in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 6, you have Solomon's prayer as, as the temple is being opened. If you will, and it was a prayer that was so powerful and a prayer that so pleased God that 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 1 says this, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven. That's pretty cool, wouldn't it? Isn't it? Man, that'd be pretty amazing if that happened right now. Maybe. Who knows? Um, but uh, that's a powerful prayer. Well, Acts chapter 4, uh, 23 through 31, this is one of the greatest prayers recorded in all of Scripture. I want you to follow along this morning as we learn about prayer that has been, uh, that persecution has led the disciples to pray, and then uh, at the end of our time, we're going to conclude our service uh, by observing the Lord's Supper. But look in Acts chapter 4, and as you're looking there, just to remind you about the context, Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, it's one story uh, broken up in two different chapters, and it just tells multiple parts of that story. You remember in Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter and John are on their way to a prayer meeting. They see a lame man. Uh, the lame man says, alms for the poor. Peter says, uh, silver and gold, I don't have any, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that man jumps to his feet, he leaps to his feet, and he's praising God. And Scripture says that a great crowd began to gather around this lame man and around Peter and John, and we would understand why. And Peter then takes the moment, he seizes the moment, and he preaches the, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ that you need to repent turn from your sins and follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Acts chapter 4 tells us that, that there were those who believed so that the number grew to about 5,000 believers. 
Now we're talking about 60 or so days after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, um, and ascension. And so within there, uh, the gospel is spread and believers have multiplied very, very quickly. Well, we know the story. Acts chapter 4, we know somebody's not too happy with this, are they? We know that somebody is frustrated. We know that somebody is angry uh, that Peter and John are preaching in the name of Jesus and that people are responding to the gospel. And that just happens to be, believe it or not, the political leaders of the day. Imagine that. The political leaders of the day, the religious leaders of the day, during this time, uh, that was who it was. The political and religious leaders of the day were the same. It's called the Sanhedrin. Well, the Sanhedrin, the Jews of Jews, if you will, they were frustrated, they were angry, and so they do what political leaders will do when they think something's not going their way. They arrest people. Hmm. They arrest Peter and John. They put them in prison overnight. Um, The next day, they question them, and uh, they say, do not speak in the name of Jesus, and then they threaten them. Well, look at verse number 23, and as Paul Harvey would say, and now, the rest of the story. Verse number 23, and it reads, and when they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends. Now, some translations will say, they went to their own. I find it very interesting that as soon as they are released, soon after this persecution has come, the early church sticks together. The first thing that happens in the midst of this persecution is the early church comes together. I don't know if you've ever noticed in a football game or not, but when the visiting team is about to take the field and they're surrounded by all, uh, by, by colors that aren't their own, different team colors, and uh, what this team does, that they, uh, they will gather together close on the sideline, they will huddle up, and they'll put all their hands in together. And somebody on that team, somebody on the team will say something like this. They'll say, men, we're surrounded. It's us against them. Let's show them who we are. And they put their hands in the middle, and somebody will say, dogs on three. One, two, three, dogs. And they bark as they march out onto the fields. All right. How does Alabama do that? Tied the elephants? Tied the elephants? I don't know, but anyways. Well, the early church, this is what happens. The early church, persecution comes. It's it's us against them, and they come together. Persecution is actually the greatest team builder that you can ever find. And this is what takes place. Look at verse 23. They've come together and they reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. Peter and John, they get the church together and they begin to explain everything that has happened. They say, circle up, here's the deal. Here's what's happened. From the top down, the political leaders, they have come down upon us. The religious leaders, they have come down upon us. They have told us, quit speaking in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter and John tells the the rest of the disciples, I say this, and we said to them, that ain't going to happen. We're not going to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. 
And you can imagine the disciples saying, well, what did the leaders tell you next? What did the political leaders tell you next? And, and Peter says, and they told us, well, you keep speaking. We're going to whip you. We're going we're to persecute you. We're going to make your life miserable. And you can imagine the disciples saying, well, Peter, what did you say next? And I can imagine Peter saying, I quoted the great theologian Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Go ahead. Make my day. And then we left, right? And they released it. And you can imagine, can you imagine the hush that went over the crowd? And in verse 24, it says this, and when they heard it, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, and they said, and all of a sudden, the spirit of the living God falls on them. Peter and John have just come from persecution. This is first recorded persecution in the early church. We're just a mere 60 days from Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, Pentecost. And here, just, just months later, they're already being persecuted. And when Peter and John come back and tell the disciples, it says they lifted their voices together to God and they said, in other words, what happened? They go straight into a Wednesday night prayer meeting is what it says here. They go straight to a prayer meeting. And here's what I find extremely interesting, is that in Acts chapter 3, when we begin this story, we learn that Peter and John, they're on their way to a what? They're on their way to a prayer meeting. They never make it to the prayer meeting. Why? Well, they're healing people. They're on the way to the prayer meeting. They start healing people. A crowd shows up. Now they're preaching the gospel. Then they're, then they're arrested. Then they're thrown into prison. Then the next day they are released. And finally they go back to their own. And finally they make it to a prayer meeting. Acts 3 and Acts 4, the bookends, it is prayer. Now, what we need to notice in our text, and you know this, you, you see this, or actually you don't see this in the text, and it's, you don't see it because this is not what they did. Notice what Peter and John did not do about the persecution. Notice that they did not go back to their own, to the church, to the believers. Notice that they did not say, hey, let's pick up our pitchforks and let's go crash the Sanhedrin. That's not even an option. That didn't even come up in their mind. Notice that they don't say, hey, let's start spreading false things about them. Notice they don't say, let's, go, let's start, a, uh, let's start a, a, some type of a protest against the religious leaders. They don't do that. Notice it doesn't say that the church goes into a panic, falls into a great depression because their own people turn against them. It's not what it says here. They don't do that. They don't do that. What do they do? They pray. When persecution came, they prayed. Uh, this past week, um, Christianity lost one of its giants of the faith uh, by a man uh, by the name of Dr. Charles Stanley. Um, sad day um, for many people uh, in the loss of him. Uh, but Dr. Charles Stanley said this about prayer. He said this. He said, when you fight all your battles on your knees, you win every time. When you fight your battles on your knees, you win every time. 
He also said that we stand the tallest and the strongest when we are on our knees. Folks, this is what the early church did. This is what the early church did. They went to praying. Now, let me share with you five things very quickly about what we see in our text about the disciples hitting their knees in prayer. Are you with me this morning? All right, here we get five things rather quickly, and then we'll move into a time of, of the Lord's Supper. Number one, we've already uh, discussed this. Number one, they prayed as a unified group. I can't overemphasize this in verse 23 when it says they lifted up their voices together. We just need to understand that the church heard the threats, the church heard about the persecution, the church heard about the pressure, and their first response was to pray. Um, one um, commentary said this, prayer was their holy reflex. That's what they went to. Uh, another translation says that, uh, that the disciples all lifted their voices to God in one accord, which means in this prayer meeting, it was multiple people, but they all had one voice. There was no division in the early church. There was no division. There were no people jockeying for position. What happened, they had heard that Peter and John were persecuted, and they all came together, unified, and they prayed together in one voice. We can't miss that. Don't miss that this was a unified prayer meeting. Dr. Warren Wiersbe said this about prayer and about division. He said, division in the church always hinders prayer and robs the church of spiritual power. Church, I, I tell you today, and I will tell the church all across the United States, all across the world, that if you as the church, if we as a church, if we aren't experiencing victory in our lives, then we need to check the level of our prayer. It's not how well we are organized that determines our effectiveness. What determines the power and the effectiveness of a church is the power of the prayer and how much time it's spending on its knees in prayer. It's the power of unified prayer. And you see that in verse number 23. Look at verse number 24. This is the second thing that we see, is that when they began to pray, they prayed acknowledging who God is. They begin with God. They begin their prayer service focused on the Heavenly Father. Look at the beginning of their prayer, verse 24, when it says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them? Now, I want you to look at that, uh, that, uh, those two words, Sovereign Lord. It's rather interesting here. It's not the word kurios, which is the typical Greek word for Lord. Kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S. That's, that's not the word that is used here from the disciples. They use a very unique word that's only used a couple times in the New Testament for uh, the word sovereign Lord. And, and let me spell it out for you. It is it's the Greek word D-E-S-P-O-T-E-S. It's where we get our English word despot or despot. What does that mean? In our culture, it means a autocrat. It means a monarch. It actually means a cruel, unkind dictator. That's what despot means. But in the day of Jesus, that's not what despot me meant. 
What, what it meant when the, when the disciples used it, it meant that, that it is that Jesus is the true king who is good, who is righteous, and who is just. And so when they begin their prayer focusing on sovereign Lord, oh God, our despot, our despot, what they're saying is you are Christ who is able to do whatever you please to do. You can do whatever you want to do, oh God, because you are the true sovereign king. Uh, Jude picks up this same word in Jude chapter 1, uh, verse 4. Actually, it's the only chapter, Jude, uh, verse 4, when it says that they are an ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for, immorta- for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ our only despot, our only sovereign and our Lord, meaning this, there are people in this world who will turn their back on the good righteous and just king of the universe. Can you believe that? Can you believe? Do people today still turn their back on the good, righteous, and just king of the universe? You bet they do. Jude wrote that. Peter and John praised that. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet in Jeremiah 32, he confesses that when he says, oh God, behold, you made the heavens and the earth and by your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you. So the first thing that the disciples do in their united prayer is this, they acknowledge who God is. They acknowledge the absolute sovereign power of the creator of all things. That's how they begin their prayer. They had just been told, remember, they had just been told by the Sanhedrin who had absolute power in Israel. So those who had absolute power told the disciples, quit speaking in the name of Jesus. So the disciples say, you know what? You don't have absolute power. I'm going to go to the one who does have absolute power. Folks, that's how our prayer needs to begin. Now, where do you think Peter and John and the disciples learned how to pray like this? Is it the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in, hallowed be thy name. Folks, when you and I begin prayer, our focus is on our Heavenly Father the good, the righteous, the just King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is what Peter and John do. They lead the disciples in this great, great prayer, and they go to the King of kings who is bigger than anything in all of this universe. I remember a story. um, I believe John MacArthur told the story. Anybody know the name John MacArthur? Nobody does. Fantastic. Are y'all with me this morning? John MacArthur, you know John MacArthur. He tells a story about a time that he was in the seventh grade. He had a buddy, his good friend, whose name was uh, Roger. And he and Roger were being picked on by some big, old, ugly ninth grade boys. And these ninth grade boys were just picking on him. And John MacArthur says that Roger, his friend, was skinny, was short, and had a high-pitched voice. He didn't scare anybody. (laughs) <laughs> and he tells the story that, uh, uh, that these bullies would begin to, uh, to pick on he and Roger, and Roger would yell out, hey, stop that, you know. <laughs> and they, they, they just kept on going. They just kept on going. But, but John tell, MacArthur tells a story. He says this, but those ninth grade bullies didn't realize that Roger had a big brother. 
And so Roger and John go and tell Roger's brother what was happening. Well, the next day at school, the bullies began to pick on John and Roger, and Roger yelled, oh, brother. (laughs) And out comes Roger's big brother, big guy. And his brother looks at those two bullies, or those bullies, and says, which one of you is picking on these two? And Roger said, it's him. <laughs> and, um, and John says that Roger's brother just reached down and picked up that boy, picked him up, and stuffed him in a trash can. <laughs> well, do you get the picture when we pray why we go to the sovereign Lord? We have a big brother, if you will. These guys have been picked on, and they're going to their big brother, and what they're going to do is they're going to say, hey, big brother, come and help me out. Well, let's look at the rest of this. So they were unified in prayer. They acknowledged who God is, and number three, they prayed Scripture. Look at verse 25. They pray Scripture. They've just prayed, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. Verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Does anybody know where that's quoted from? Psalm chapter 2. So Peter and John And the rest of the disciples in the midst of the persecution, they quote the Old Testament. They quote Scripture. They go back to God and say, Sovereign Lord, you're the creator of everything. Oh, by the way, do you remember what you said in Psalm chapter 2? And they quote Psalm chapter 2. Won't you turn to Psalm chapter 2 in your Bibles? Psalm chapter 2 is known as what's called a messianic psalm. It's a, it's a psalm uh, that deals with eschatology. What in the world is eschatology? Eschatology is simply the study of end times or the end time. It's the study of the end time and what, what happens in relationship with the Messiah. Well, Psalm chapter 2 is what Peter and John and the disciples are quoting. And I want you to look at what, what happens here in Psalm 2. Verse 1 says, why did the nations rage, people's plot in vain? That's what the Peter and John had just quoted. The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's what Peter and John and the disciples uh, quoted. Verse number 3 of Psalm 2, it says this, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So Psalm 2 paints a picture of those who are defiant against the king of kings. It is the leaders, the political leaders, religious leaders, it's people who are defiant against the king. They are so defiant, here in Psalm chapter 2, they are defiant that in the end time, they believe and they have the audacity to raise up an army of people to stand up against Christ the Messiah. The audacity 
to think, in what it says in verse 3, that what Christ has given to the world is actually chains and bonds. In verse 3 of Psalm 2, it says, we want to break the bonds of Christianity. Have we heard anything like that in our culture recently? Psalm 2, a messianic psalm about what can happen in the end time, when they want to reject all things related to Christ and actually say the things of Christ are actually bonds and chains. Well, look at what happens when this takes place and look what God does when kings stand up against him. Verse 4, and it says this, and he who sits in the heavens does what? He laughs. God laughs, and he holds them in derision. You know, there's only a handful of times in Scripture when it says that God laughs. Do you know when he laughs? In the presence of politicians. Isn't that right? In the presence of politicians who think, I know better than God. I know better than what Scripture says. I don't believe what Scripture says to be true. I believe that Christianity is, is bonds and chains and, and a rejection of all thing good. And those are the kings who are saying that, and so they are defiant against the king. They're defiant against the Creator. And Scripture says that God laughs. And so when Peter and John, when Peter and John have have been interrogated by the religious leaders of the day who said, you stop talking in the name of Jesus. Code, we're better than Jesus. Code, we don't do it the way Jesus does it because we don't think he's right. Code, Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life. Are you with me? And Peter and John and the disciples, they pray scripture. They say, oh God, you remember, you remember that the kings, they, they rage. And that word in Hebrew for rage is actually, it is, it is the snorting sound that a horse makes. They rage. Oh God, remember, remember this. Remember this because we are in that moment now. This is what Peter and John are saying. And so they come together after persecution. They're unified. They acknowledge the greatness of who God is. They pray scripture. And then here's number four. They pray believing that God is going to do something. They take God's word at face value. Are you with me? And look at verse 27 and 28 because here's the application of them quoting Psalm chapter 2. Here's what he says in verse 27. For truly, O Lord, in this city, there was gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. What are they saying? These are the people who are raging against you, O God. But look what they say in verse 28. But then they turn to the Heavenly Father and say, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Every great Baptist loves to talk about predestination. Well, here in this prayer of belief, 
Here's what the disciples are doing. They are trusting in God's sovereign plan. Let me ask you a question. Can pain be a part of God's sovereign plan for your life? Absolutely it can. Can persecution be a part of God's sovereign plan? Can countries and leaders turn their back on the creator? Can that be a part of God's divine sovereign plan? Absolutely it can. Does that mean the hurts the pain, the struggles that you're going through in your life, does that mean that that's possible, that could be a part of God's divine, sovereign plan? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? It's because of who God is. We've already acknowledged who he is. He's the sovereign Lord. He's the great, good, just, and righteous king. And God has the unique ability. I say unique because there are no other gods, little g, that can do what this big G God can do. God has the unique ability to take that which is bad and turn it into good. Did you know that? He has the unique ability to take your pain, your persecution, the pressure that you feel, the death and the loss that you may be experiencing. He has the unique ability when you submit to his sovereignty, he has the unique ability to take that which is evil and turn it into his glory. Do you know why I know he can do that? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ was the worst thing that could ever happen in the history of mankind. Putting the nails in the hands and the feet of our Lord and Savior was the worst thing that man could ever do. But God. But God turned the worst event in, hu in human history, he turned it into the world's greatest event. God is able to do that in your life. God is able to take the difficult and turn it into the glorious. He's able to take the loss that happens in your life and he's able to turn it into a victory. He's able to take what you think is destruction and he's able to turn it into life. Well, Pastor, how do we do that? Here, you have to submit to God's sovereign plan. Do I always understand it? No. Do I question some of the things he uses in my own life? You bet I do. Do I wrestle with him? You bet I do. But I dare not turn in defiance to my king of kings and say, how dare you do this to me? You have no idea. Are you with me? He's sovereign. And he can do whatever he wants to do. Well, that ought to make you feel good, doesn't it? Well, so.
So here's what we see as they pray. They pray a unified prayer. They acknowledge who God is. They prayed scripture. They prayed believing that God can do something. And here's, here's the last thing that we see that they do in their prayer is they pray specific prayers. Wow, where have you heard that before? They prayed specifically. They prayed. Look at verse number 29. They have talked to God. They've said, God, this is who you are. God, here's our situation. Here's what you've said in the past. Now, here's our request. Verse 29. And now, O Lord, look upon their threats and wipe them out. Is that what your, is that what your verse says? No, mine either. He says, Lord, look upon their, threat, their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and perform through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There's three things that they prayed for in the midst of persecution. They prayed, number one, God, hear the threats. Has God heard the threats? Absolutely, he's heard the threats. But when you ask God to hear something, what you're doing is you're getting in alignment with the Heavenly Father. God, do you hear this? Am I hearing this correctly? Because this is what I'm hearing. Do you hear the same thing? And you communicate with the Heavenly Father. And you say, God, take, just, just hear what they're being said. God, listen to, they're, they're, they are, they're mocking you, God. They're rejecting your service, God. Do you hear this? This is your name, oh God. They pray and say, God, do you hear? And the second thing they then pray is this. God, give us boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, they're saying, God, let's do it again. Let's get arrested again because that arresting is what has given me the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. And the third thing they pray is this, God, would you send more miracles? Now, why would they say, God, would you send more miracles? Would you send more opportunities to heal and for signs and wonders? Why would they pray that? What happened in Acts chapter 3? In Acts chapter 3, they're walking to a prayer meeting. They see what? They see a lame man. Peter and John says, rise up and walk. And what happens? That lame man is what? Healed. What happens after that lame man is healed? Oh, a crowd. Oh. A crowd shows up. And so what they're praying is, oh, God, give us more opportunities to heal people and signs and wonders because that is what attracts people. And they say, oh, God, do this for your glory. Now, notice, they don't pray for God to judge their persecutors. Do we see that in our text? We don't see that. We don't see them, listen, we don't see them praying for the persecution to be lifted. I don't believe it to be wrong to pray that, but here in the early church, we don't see that. Rather, instead, they ask for more of the same. They say, God, if it's persecution, if it's pain, if it's arrest, if it's devastating news, Give me more of it if that means I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. Now, how are you thinking about all the difficulties in your life? Are you with me? Is this a gut check or what? 
This is a gut check. Where we have to align ourselves up with the Heavenly Father and what His Word and what His will is for our lives. Well, let me close here. Verse 31. Here's what happens. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Wow. Here's what happens. When they prayed, God physically manifested Himself. And the place shook. Whenever you read scripture and you hear about something shaking, a whole lot of shaking going on, it's God's presence. What rolled the stone away? A little shaking. The earthquake, right? Here's what's going on here. The power and the presence of God shows up and the whole place was shaken. It says, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Were they not filled before? Yes, they were filled before at Pentecost, but here's a little extra helping in the moment. He gives them a little extra, the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work. And then it says, at the end of verse 31, it says this, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness, meaning They were not afraid and they were not ashamed to tell people about Jesus. Wow. And when we get to Acts chapter 5 next year, (laughs) here's what we learn. Can I give you a little brief picture of Acts chapter 5? In Acts chapter 5, listen to what happens. Acts 5 verse 12 the apostles began to perform many more miracles. Verse 14, people are saved. Verse 16, crowds are gathered around the apostles. Verse 18, the apostles are arrested and thrown into jail. Verse 19, God sets them free by a miracle. Verse 21, the apostles, disciples resume their public preaching. Verse 27, they're questioned by the religious leaders again, told not to speak in the name of Jesus. Verse 29, Peter says, "Um, we must obey God, not you. Verse uh, verse 30, Peter again preaches to the Sanhedrin. Verse 40, uh, the disciples are beaten but they're released. Verse 41, they leave their beating rejoicing. Verse 42, they continue preaching the gospel everywhere. Now, what can you say about men like that? You can't keep a good man down. You can't stop him. And as my, one of my spiritual mentors said, Dr. Charles Stanley, he said this, read it early to you. He says, When you fight your battles on your knees, you win every single time. Every time. Every time. So church, let's hit our knees. Whatever struggle you're going through, it's not too difficult for our Lord. Whatever pain you may be experiencing, it's not too difficult. Whatever questions you have, it's not too difficult. Hit your knees, and you will win every single time. Amen? Let's pray together, and deacons, if you'll make your way to the front, please. Father, we come before you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your strength. And I thank you, Father, that as believers in Jesus Christ, we win 
And I thank you for that. And Father, at this time, as we enter to a moment of reflection by observing the Lord's Supper, Holy Spirit, you're invited. We ask that you come and examine our hearts. Father, if you reveal to us that there is sin in our lives, God, may we confess. For your word says that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. I pray, O God, that you will be pleased with what takes place now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.